We prayed that this would be a life-changing experience, and I don't think it can be life-changing unless it's eye-opening. I'm thankful for the songs already that aren't just heard. It's not just lyrics that we say, but you actually actually can see it. Uh, I walked out of that grave, and I know I did it by the grace of God. The other one, do you see what I see? That the grave is empty, because if you do, then you know that anything is possible. I've been in a lot of Easter services in my life, but that worship experience that we all were a part of just now was the best I have ever been in. Would you help me say thanks to our worship team? Incredible. And they they started at four o'clock yesterday afternoon, again at six. They've been going all weekend to the entire team, way to go. Jesus preached his, to me, his greatest sermon when he was on the cross. It's his shortest sermon, and it's obvious why, because he was in such excruciating pain. We know that crucifixion required that he would lift himself by his wrists in order to gain oxygen. And I can't even imagine the, the pain that would have been shooting through his body. And that was happening after the Praetorium Guard had beat him within an inch of his life. And there on that cross, he gives seven very poignant statements that are life-changing, his best sermon. And we're going to look at a few of those this morning. You know, his Sermon on the Mount was lengthy, and it is so worthy of a lot of, of thought and consideration because it really shows how you live out the grace of God in your life. But the Sermon on the Cross, to me, it's the best, even though it's way shorter. We opened the carnival last night for all, or on Friday night after our Good Friday service for all the families who would be working the carnival yesterday. That way these parents could enjoy the time with their kids and then be full on to serve as all of those in the community would come out. This kid said to me as I was walking across the campus, I said, Pastor Ron, your sermon. He had been in the Friday night service. And he goes, you started on the Sunday before, he said, like, before Jesus died on Friday. And, like, you took us through every day of the week. He said, I am so glad you didn't start two weeks before he died, or we would have never gotten to go to the carnival. That was, that was not the kid who said to me, who had a bag full of candy, pulled a piece out. He said, this is my favorite. He said, now you pray that I don't get grounded from candy. I said, I said, have you ever been grounded from candy? He said, 10 times. I was on one of the rides with another kid, and it was the boat, you know, if you've ever done it. You know, it doesn't look that, that significant when you're just watching but you get on it, it'll tell you. It will tell you. And I'm on with this guy. I go, this is going to be the best ride of your life. She looked up at me and she said, have you ever been to Silver Dollar City? <laughs> so Jesus' sermon, short but life-changing. 
And he starts like this. Man, it gets me every time. Father, forgive them, for they don't, do not know what they do. He died forgiving us. The scripture says that he came and, and that Jesus would save us, would save his people from their sin. The second statement he made is in response to the request of the thief who had an eye-opening experience and realized his need of a savior. And so he says, today, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus responded with that second statement today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The Bible says that whoever, everybody say whoever. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And I would like to say that it's obvious by what Jesus said to this thief, not only whoever, but whenever. Grace and forgiveness is that powerful. Whoever and whenever, it doesn't matter the backstory. This thief would not have even one day to live his life in honor of Jesus. But in that moment, he needed grace, and Jesus gave it. And can you imagine, before that day ended, that man is in paradise. There is nothing that compares. There is no match for the grace of God. Truly, his name is above every name. Thank you, Jesus. Then we come to this this third statement, and I, again, I won't, I won't touch on all seven, but here he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you read the scripture, you find that it's around noon, and between 12 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it goes dark. It's like an eclipse, and the darkness around Jesus and around all of the people gathered there is just so significant to what is actually happening to Jesus in that moment. In this moment, it is so intense that the holiness of God will not allow him to even look on as his only son, who at this time is bearing the weight of all sin. It is at this moment that Jesus is not just dying for us, but dying as us. And the darkness starts pointing to the kind of pressure. We can't even wrap our minds around it. The burden that he's bearing of all of the sin, like just take my life. At that moment, he's taking every sin of my life, past, present, and future. Take the number of us in this room. The sins we've committed, the sins we will commit, as I look, that's, that could be a lot, um, just teasing. And he took every sin, past, present, and future, in that moment upon himself. We're pressing toward eight billion people in the world. He took upon himself the sin of everyone, those that have already died, those that have, that are, have yet to to even live a day. It is in this moment that he is bearing the weight of sin. He's not just dying for sin. 
He's dying as a sinner. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, the one who knew no sin. It's like the only one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might have a relationship with Jesus, that our sins being atoned for because he became sin, we might be forgiven and free of those sins. His cross, my freedom, that I could know a relationship with Jesus in a life that works and that is satisfied by the joy and affirmation of the love of the Father. I would know that when I die, I'm stepping right into the manifest presence of Jesus. Jesus, Savior. Jesus, who gives mercy. Jesus, Lamb of God, slain that we might live. How amazing. Do you see it? Perhaps this will be an eye-opening moment for you. Why did he do it? That was my cross. I deserve that cross. I deserve to die. He was perfect. But I couldn't offer even close an adequate sacrifice to be reconciled to God. So Jesus steps in and says, I'll die for you. But Jesus... You're God, I'll become man. But Jesus, you're perfect, I'll become sin. I'll die in your place. I'll satisfy the justice of God and you'll be made righteous by my sacrifice. And you will stand justified, just as if you never did it, redeemed, price paid in full because of a sacrifice that you could have never offered, because of an amount you could have never paid. This is how deep, how rich, how pure, and how strong the love of God is. It reached from that cross to my dead, cold, sin-filled heart. And I became a whoever. And he saved me from my sin. If you know what I'm talking about, can we just take a moment? Take a moment and thank him for so great a salvation. Come on, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Thank you, Jesus. If you ever wonder if you're loved, just look at the cross. Why did he do it? He gave himself up for us because he loves us. And God so loved us that he gave his son, his only son. And Jesus took our place. So that's why we sang it today. And when I think that God, his Son not sparing. Send him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Give him a how great thou art praise today. Thank you, Jesus. That last statement says, it is finished, debt paid, battle won, work accomplished. They take him from that cross. They put him in a borrowed tomb, and early on Sunday morning, these ladies go, and when they get to the tomb, there's an angel sitting on the stone that was once in the entrance of the tomb. It had been rolled away, and they came to make final preparations for his burial. And they asked this question, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Look, the place where they have laid him. He's not there. So it's no longer, look what death did to Jesus. It's look what Jesus did to death. Help me, somebody. Look what Jesus, look what Jesus did to sin. Look what Jesus did to Satan. Look what Jesus did to the past. Look what Jesus provided. Come on. Look what Jesus did to death. He's alive. They go back. They tell the disciples. So Peter and John take off for this location to see for themselves. In John's writings, he makes sure that you know he got there first. Like that even matters. They get there and they find the same. The tomb, the tomb is empty. Do you see what I see? That the grave is empty? Because if you do, then you know anything is possible. I want you to join into a passage with me because it is the passage that has fascinated and fixed in my heart this Easter. It's Luke chapter 24, starting... Verse 13, it says, now that same day, that same Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So these two guys, they had seen it all. They had been through the whole process. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Their answer, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus answered, what things? <laughs> like, like, tell me, you know, clue me in. I'll paraphrase their response. They said to him, not knowing that they're talking to Jesus. So they talk to Jesus about Jesus. They just don't know they're talking to Jesus. They said, he was so powerful. Quoting these two guys, they said, we had hoped he was the one. 
They said what's interesting is two ladies went to the tomb this morning and they say that it's, it's empty. Quoting these two guys, they said they came back and told us and our companions. So they were, they were not disciples, but they were around these disciples and said among us two guys took off and, and they came back with the same report. At this point, Jesus starts talking. They still don't know it's Jesus. And he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And when he says he, he began with Moses, well, Moses is writer of the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses, who was known as a deliverer, Moses, who's an Old Testament-like type and foreshadowing of the ultimate deliverer, Jesus. I'm sure he says to these guys, remember the Red Sea, like where, where God made a way where there was no way? And then it collapsed on the enemy. And in, in what he's, he's communicating, you're looking at the one who makes a way. What you just saw at the cross was God making a way where there was no way for all humanity to be redeemed. Remember the cross? I was, I was making a show of Satan openly and all demons, and I triumphed over them. Now, just as the Red Sea collapsed on the enemy, so that cross collapsed. Yeah, they thought I was the victim. I was not the victim on that cross. Satan, demons, death, sin, those are the victims of the cross. He moves from Moses to the prophets. Surely, he said, Zechariah said that God would be sold out for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah said those exact words and that the money would be used to purchase a potter's field. This is spoken thousands of years before Jesus was ever sold out by Judas. I'm sure he went to Psalm 22 where David prophesied that crucifixion would happen and that anybody crucified, the only way they could breathe was to lift themselves up and the kind of pain that would go through their body just to breathe was unimaginable, unspeakable. David is prophesying that through Psalm 22 600 years before anybody was ever crucified. It hadn't even been thought of yet. No one knew of crucifixion as a way of murdering somebody, but David, inspired of the Spirit, he sees prophetically, and Jesus is talking to two men that, that are looking at, and he's like, I am, I am that sacrifice. Surely he quoted to them the prophecy of Isaiah he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that was upon him was for our peace. And by his stripes, hallelujah, we are healed. What, what, now, that, that was quite, quite the walk. Well, they come to this point, and it, it says it right here, that Verse 28, as they approached the village, that's where these two guys lived. Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. With your eyes fixed on that lower third of the screen, here are the words. Then their eyes were opened. An eye-opening moment that led to a life-changing experience. They recognized him. Look down at verse 32. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? If you have never experienced the gift of salvation and a relationship with Jesus, what we learn here is that it will always involve a truth encounter and a power encounter where you will be reminded or maybe you're hearing for the first time this message. What I've just shared is what we call the good news. It's called the gospel. And if anyone would try to tell you it's just a theory or a philosophy, they are wrong. Hear me. The reason I referenced Old Testament passages and prophets is to give you just the the least little bit of eye-opening truth. There's so much more so that you will know it takes way more faith to not believe the gospel than it does to believe it. A truth encounter that Jesus was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life. He was sold out by Judas and handed over to the Roman guards and the governor ordered him beaten. All of that was prophesied. He was then led away to Golgotha, the place of the skull, nailed by his hands and feet to the cross. And there he was suspended between these two thieves. And there he agonized saying, Father, forgive them. And telling the thief, you're going to be with me in paradise. And God, why have you forsaken me? And I thirst. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And it is finished. And he would be placed in Joseph's tomb, a borrowed tomb. And it's true, time and place and space. Ladies, go and find. The tomb was empty. Why? Because Jesus had broken the chains of death. He had risen from the grave. We're not a religion. We are not a theory. We are not a philosophy. We are a life-changing gospel that is fixed and, and founded in truth in a person who lived and died and rose again. It's a truth encounter. And everybody that gets saved, they they have a truth encounter, then they have a power encounter. This is where it goes beyond intellect, and it has to. has to go beyond head knowledge. This is the power encounter. The Bible would call this being born of the Spirit. You may have heard this terminology, being born again, being made new, becoming a new creation. 
Peter would write and say, you've been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Born again. How would you even know if the truth and power encounter are happening? Just check your heart right now. Not your physical heart, your soul, your spirit, the essence of who you are. These two men said in, in that place of their soul, there was, it was like a, a fire. You start sensing a stirring that your life can change, that Jesus is dealing with you, that Jesus has come close, that there is something that is happening, and it is nothing that man can ultimately communicate. It is a work of the Spirit to your spirit, and, and, and you sense your spiritual heart wanting to gain a heartbeat, come alive, come alive in Christ. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century scientist who invented the syringe, the mechanical calculator, hydraulics, all these things, brilliant guy and professed atheist, until one night, according to his own words, at 10.30 for the next two hours, Jesus revealed himself. And from that experience, he became a devoted follower of Jesus. I mean, radically loved and served Jesus. What happened? He already had the truth. He, he found ways to shoot holes in it and try to deny it. But what he had was a power encounter. The Bible says that there is a, the this, this, this spirit that's operative in this age. I'll put my cards on the table. I believe in a real devil. And the devil moves and maneuvers to blind the hearts of people. But there's a, a counter by Jesus to that effort of the enemy. And of course, Jesus' power is ultimate. And so he has the power to do for you what he did for Blaise Pascal. He will open your eyes. He will. These two men, it says, and their eyes were opened. Their heart was telling them this truth and power encounter came together. This transaction, it merged. And those that knew him and knew his brilliance would say, surely you don't believe that. And he became this person who could give the most effective, clear presentation of truth. He made a case for Christ using the Old and New Testament. And so many people had a truth encounter as they would listen to him talk. But there were those that he knew he would never talk them into this. He could never be convincing enough. And he made this statement, and it, it, is, it resonates today. He said, the heart has its reasons that reason knows not. And he would have a room packed out of brilliant people. And he would say, there's a part of this. It's just supernatural. It's the eye-opening moment. And I can't talk you into that. I can't convince you into that. That's the work of Jesus. And he would say, I, I just stand in front of you to tell you 
that the eyes of my heart have been opened. And Jesus is real. And Jesus is my Savior. And he, he would say it like this. The heart has its reasons that are far greater than facts. See, anybody in this room who's saved, if I called them to this platform, they may not be able to give you all of the facts of creation and bringing up through the sacrificial system into this, this very factual presentation of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection. But every one of them can tell you this I know. I was a sinner. I was hopeless. I was broken. And Jesus came to me. Jesus awakened my heart. Jesus saved my soul. I'm not the person that I was. And I, I know Jesus is real. And I know the gospel is true. And I am a living testimony that Jesus is a savior and he's a deliverer and he's a healer and he's a helper. I know it. I know it. And and what they're saying, their spirit bears witness with the very spirit of God that they're the sons of God, the daughters of God. I can't explain to you how the rapture is going to happen, but my spirit says you better get ready because Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. I know we're not sitting in this room today. I, I promise you, I've been on this journey long enough to not stand in front of, in front of a bunch of beautiful, smart people and just hash out some tradition so that we can move on to Easter egg hunts and, and, and family gatherings and be in our Easter clothes and then it all gets put up until the next Easter egg hunt. Oh, thank God for all that, but there's way more on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross and Jesus mounted that cross that was meant for me and in his perfection in his humanity yet without diminishing his deity he died and heaven started counting to three that was Friday but Sunday was coming good morning everybody it's Sunday and Jesus is alive hallelujah thank you Jesus your cross my freedom your stripes my healing all praise to King Jesus Your blood still speaking. Your love still reaching. All praise, King Jesus. With every eye closed, do you you hear the blood speaking? Are your eyes being opened? 
feel your heart stirred. If right now you say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I need him. I need him. I'm so worn out. I'm so, I'm so tired of the struggle. I'm ready for forgiveness. I'm ready for freedom. Would you just lift your hand right now? Just quickly, 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 quickly. Yes. Come on, keep lifting. Say me. Yes. Yes. Keep lifting them. This is the eye-opening moment. I see your hand. I'm looking across. This is the eye. Yeah. I see your hand in the back. The eye-opening moment. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You're about to be born of the Spirit. You're about to be born again. Anybody say, include me. It's happening in me. Lift your hand. Now repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I open my heart to you today because you have opened my eyes. I repent of my sin. I receive forgiveness. Forgiveness that you offered through your death on the cross. Thank you for your love for me. Be the Savior of my soul and the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I want to enter this relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for all you are, for all you have done. You've stirred my heart, and I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give him the greatest praise. Give him, come on, give him the greatest praise. Let's go, let's go. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. again and as we do all across this room we have we've spoken directly to people that have entered a relationship with Jesus but for everybody in the room if there's if there's a struggle if there's sickness if there's an area of brokenness as we sing it turn it to Jesus turn your struggle to Jesus turn your sickness to Jesus turn your burden to Jesus turn it to the cross find freedom. Turn it to the stripes that he bore. Find healing. Come on, with all of your heart across this place, I, I want you to sing. If you say, I've never sung before. You are about to. You're about to. And in faith, there's going to be a power encounter. I believe healing is about to happen. I believe freedom is about to come. I believe God's going to give peace where there's been fear. Come on, are you ready? With everything you have, come on. 
declare today your cross. Sing it, everybody. Your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus. Your cross. 